At Kelly Companies, it is no secret that they believe in the power of people. In an effort to help their Keelians get to know each other a little bit better, they decided to launch the Who Do You Know campaign. The goal was simple. Keelians were encouraged to have a conversation with someone outside of their circle. That's it. These conversations, however, have brought people together and farthered their world-class culture. Shout out to the Keelians who have made an effort to have meaningful conversations with new friends. You can learn more about those conversations, about those amazing friends, by visiting them online at KeelyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Well, between a global pandemic and changes in financial markets, entering new seasons of life, Many of us are facing increased anxiety for tomorrow than ever before. This increased anxiety is elevated even more so for those of us living with chronic health conditions. For our family, and for more than 10 million other families worldwide, one of the health conditions impacting them or their loved one is Parkinson's disease. My dad and our family received the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease almost 35 years ago. This disease that has robbed him of so much has also strengthened his faith. It's elevated his love of life and revealed his both unconditional love for his wife, my mom, as well as her unconditional love for her husband, my dad. For those of you who know my story or you follow me on social media or you've been part of our Live Inspired podcast family for a while, you know that my mom and my dad are my heroes. Well, today you're going to hear from a family who, like mom and dad, refused to let a lifelong degenerative condition stifle their lives, but instead use it as an excuse to truly begin living their lives. My friends, if you or someone you know or you love needs a little bit of courage right now, if you know someone who needs a little bit of hope right now or a reason to believe that in spite of life's hurdles, that the best is yet to come, this conversation today is for you. So here's my encouragement. Grab your favorite Live Inspired journal, sit up a little bit straighter at your chair, grab your favorite beverage of choice, we're not here to judge you, and get ready to be renewed in your confidence that in spite of what we face right now, our best is yet to come. So without farther ado, let me introduce you to my new friends. Larry and Rebecca Gifford, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. We have had almost 500 episodes of the Live Inspired podcast. It's rare, though, we have an opportunity of a two-for-oneer. Today, we have <laughs> two guests on at the same time, a married couple, and I am so humbled and excited, are making time not only for me, but for our community. We have a very personal connection, the three of us. As our listeners tune in today, they're going to learn more about that. So why don't we begin first with Rebecca. When you introduce yourself to a new friend today, how do you respond? I call myself a writer primarily, professionally, 
And I also lead writing workshops. So I consider myself kind of a bringing other people to writing person. Also, mother is an important role for me and wife, but also partner in Parkinson's is what we like to call it, where we're, we're doing this together as a couple and Parkinson's is part of our life. I am his wife. We are partners together, but we're also there's Parkinson's in the relationship. So we, we acknowledge that as well, because it does inform so much of our relationship. Beautiful. And that, that's the kind of person who I would want to learn more about. And we will during this podcast, Larry, for you, when you have an opportunity of introducing yourself, how do you respond to that question? I've been in radio for 30 years, uh, both on the air and then as a leader. Uh, so currently I'm the national director of talk radio in Canada for chorus entertainment, which is kind of like a smaller version of the Disney company where they have ABC and ESPN under them. We have TV stations and TV cable stations and, and nine talk radio stations across the country. Uh, and then I'm also a uh, global Parkinson's advocate. We're going to be talking about what got both of you into that, that work. It's amazing that you probably would have never fathomed this being your call. You probably ran away from it for a while and now you've embraced it. And it's not only changed your life and mine, but uh, not only our listeners, but those you've affected and impacted around the world. So let's let's move away from Vancouver. Let, let's center just a couple states to my east. You both grew up in Ohio. Rebecca, where, where'd you grow up in Ohio? I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and I went to Ohio University, OU Bobcat, and the, the beginning of my professional life was in Ohio. And then I met my husband there. So an important state to us. At Westerville, Ohio is where your husband grew up and he was voted in high school least likely to leave Westerville. <laughs> Talk about this city that you were least likely to leave. Uh, they call it the quiet, peaceful village. You know, and it was uh, it was a great place to grow up. It was it felt safe. We left the front doors unlocked all all the time, and you know, we, there was plenty of kids to play with in the neighborhood. And you know, your parents sent you out in the summer at eight in the morning, say so be back for dinner, and you you were just free to roam. It's, uh, it was great, um, and it was you know, a lot of great friends growing up, and um, and it, to 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 be in some place that you felt so safe and that you knew everybody was was really nice. Where did you first meet Rebecca? I first met Rebecca at a Memorial Day picnic. We had a mutual friend and his parents threw a Memorial Day picnic that my parents went always went to. And I was living with my parents at the time. I had just gotten, just been sprung from the bone marrow transplant unit of a hospital in Cincinnati and finishing cancer treatments there. And that was the first time we met. We were in very different places I, I in our just, lives. There was no there. spark at the time. I had just moved there from, from Columbus where I was on the radio. I was going to be on the radio in, in Dayton. I hadn't hit the air yet, but the, the, the parents all knew that I was going to be on the station. But well, then when like, I saw Rebecca, I, I said, well, who's the girl with no hair in the, in the flower dress? I thought she was a punker. He did make assumptions based on my <laughs> hair and my dress. We, we can't talk about your hair or lack thereof and the dress and the diagnosis and stepping out of that hospital in Cincy without talking a little bit about it. So uh, clearly today the focus is going to be primarily on Parkinson's disease and living with that as a partnership, as a family. It affects more than one, but so does cancer. So as a young woman, you were diagnosed with cancer. How, how did you realize you were sick, Rebecca? I had a little bit of chest pain and a little bit of back pain. And it wasn't expl easily explained. So they did an x-ray and found a grapefruit-sized 
tumor in the lymph nodes next to my right lung. So, and then I was diagnosed with, at the time, uh, stage one uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You are a young woman, your entire life is in front of you. How does a diagnosis like this change you? It changed me in a myriad of ways and it, and it changed the trajectory of my life quite a bit. It taught me a lot of lessons, but it took me a few years to kind of learn a lot of those lessons. So it was a slow burn for me at the time. It just was like a full stop. Everything that I had aspired to that I was just going to work in the job that I had just started my first professional position out of journalism school that I was just going to work there for a couple of years and then start some new things and try to pursue my magazine aspirations and and all of those things it just kind of everything had to go in full stop and speaking of uncertainty <laughs> it that you know that certainly was um, my first introduction to facing uncertainty and then having to function day to day within that so but it did take quite a few years for me to really learn the big lessons of of the cancer for me i was very young and i was not prepared at all for something like this i had no good tools for it so it was a wake-up call for me you got to learn some tools you got to learn about yourself you got to do your work and i did after that that was a big wake-up call for me so i started relatively early to 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 work on myself learn about myself and figure out what i needed for proper resilience and self-care. Hmm. Well, whether dealing with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease or cancer or unemployment or the diagnosis of life, uh, these are things we all need to learn. And you learn them at an early age. You said, I had to figure this out. I had to learn the tools. These tools eventually will serve you well in a relationship, in a partnership, a partnership, not only with the husband and as a parent, but with, with Parkinson's disease. So what are some of the tools that you learned as a young lady that you ultimately would apply throughout life? The biggest one was to figure out a way to cultivate a relationship with myself and with my inner life, my inner wisdom, what I call my higher self. And I did that predominantly by being able to slow down, meditate. I have a meditation practice figure out the difference between what voice is your inner wisdom and what voice is your ego and what voice is your self-doubt and and all of that and that took time um, to do that but that definitely is a tool that has served me the most during our current journey and then but ever since then ever ever since i started cultivating it's the most important tool is is really learning how to look inward learn about myself cultivate a relationship with myself and my own inner wisdom yeah and and for those of us listening in wondering well ultimately don't you have to leave the meditation suite and the answer is yes yeah you live there it helps you live more effectively and authentically in the real world and ultimately that real world will take you face to face where the the sparks do fly it wasn't immediate as you said but eventually the sparks do fly between you and Larry. So Larry, talk about the first time when the sparks did indeed fly. When, when did you and Rebecca connect and begin the journey forward in life? Well, do you remember the TV show Seinfeld? <laughs> Seinfeld was having, was preparing for its finale episode. And she was in town 
And I was working morning drive radio. So I was off the air at 10 a.m. and back home. So we would go to lunch every day and go shopping, run errands. And I was planning a party for all of my all of our friends to come over to watch the finale of Seinfeld. And so we were making the soups, anything that was mentioned on the show, the, we had the junior mints and you know everything. We planned this whole party together and cooked together. And you know, I'd look at her in the car and I'd just get lost in her eyes and I was feeling giddy, you know, that feeling you get. And, yeah. And then when we had to say goodbye, it was a lot harder to say goodbye than we thought and kept writing each other and on on email, which was AOL back then. So we were always waiting for, you've got mail. <laughs> sweet sound. That's sweet sound. Yes. We built our relationship basically over email mm. because we the sparks flew and we did get to start to know each other in those few days. But really, we cultivated a knowledge of each other and a real depth of intimacy and sharing stories and secrets and things like that over email, long distance. I had the honor not long ago of speaking at a wedding and reminded the groom and the bride that it's easy to say I do when she looks as beautiful as she does, when he is as handsome as he is, when everyone's surrounded and gathering and toasting their wine and their water in your direction. And eventually, though, the life of tonight will change and it will get better, but it's going to change. And you experience all these highs. You experience the, 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 the celebration and the joyful and the puppy dog moments and the I do. But eventually, st struggles begin to mount. So you, you move and you move again and then you move again and then you move out west and then you move up north and you move down south and then you, move, you move ultimately up to Canada. Along the way, you become a parent, which is a profound blessing, which, which you just talk briefly because he's going to, I think, affect what happens next. Talk about, talk about little Henry. Henry is now 13 years old. <laughs> Where did that time go? I know, right? Because of my treatments uh, for cancer, I am in ovarian failure. So we knew from the beginning, before we even had a relationship, we knew that we would have to go through adoption um, if we wanted to become parents. So when we decided, which was 10 years into our marriage, before we really decided, we were both on the same page and said, we really want to do this. And we happened upon a great place that had a a great relationship with a nursery in Taiwan. Yeah. And we had we were exploring domestic adoption. But the the way the stories and the meeting people who had been there and meeting people who had regular interactions with this nursery in Taiwan. And then we did our own research on Taiwan. We and it's kind of a fascinating, beautiful country. We said, I think this there's something about this that just feels right. It's just clicking into place. And so we adopted our adorable son. He was 11 months old uh, from Taiwan, and we celebrated our 12th adoption day in May. I, I'd like to hear about that. We, we have had a few friends on our podcast who come from a relationship where they were adopted. My favorite story is Scott Hamilton, the phenomenal ice skater, cancer survivor, who I asked him, what was it like when you found out you were adopted? Uh, and we talked about that for a little bit. And I said, was that hard for you? And he almost like stopped me before I could ask. And he said, oh, no, oh, no. My parents gave me life. My birth parents gave me life. But my parents who raised me chose me. And I'll never, I like get moved even hearing that, like they chose me. Mm -hmm. So you had the honor of choosing Henry. And now he's been able to choose you as his parents. What a gift that is. Do you celebrate both the birthday and the adoption day? Are they both celebrations in, uh, in Henry's life? Oh yeah, they're separate and distinct for sure. The adoption day uh, always includes balloons and always includes some sort of Taiwanese cuisine. 
And so, you know, whether it's, you know, soup or dumplings or whatever, it's, you know, we always try to, to cater to that and celebrate his heritage. And well, that is almost a more joyful yeah. celebration <laughs> because it's, it's, it's mutual. It's, it's, a, it's a celebration of all three of us, a celebration of the full family. And isn't this beautiful that we have this and that we found each other. And so you, and all the things that adoption and all the, the, the challenges that that brings and all the beauty that that brings, it's just kind of celebrating all of that, the full relationship. Thank you. I, I know uh, that wasn't part of the, the script of our podcast today, but it's an important part because this little boy, this young man, I guess, at this point, is part of the reason why you recognize today and years ago that you've, you've got Parkinson's disease. My father was diagnosed more than 30 years ago, uh, mid-40s. This ought to sound very familiar to you. And ultimately, the reason why he went to the doctor in the first place is his feet were dragging. And at first, they thought it might be maybe a tumor, maybe MS. And ultimately, it was realized it was Parkinson's disease. You had that same foot drag. And like my dad, you ignored it. And then you had <laughs> and then a third, and then a fourth, and then a fifth. And then one day you're handing Henry a little thing of juice and you're spilling it everywhere. Yeah. He's like, Dad, why why is your hand shaking? Why 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 can't you control your the cup? And I'm like, I don't know. He goes, Well, shouldn't you go see a doctor? <laughs> Our little truth teller. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I suppose I probably should. That was the start of it. They thought I had MS at first. And the Parkinson's neurologist probably saw him six months later. And he said, yeah, it looks like you have probably uh, Parkinsonism. So I'm like, well, what do you mean probably? And he goes, well, we can't be 100% sure if it's Parkinson's or something else for a couple of years. I'm like, well, how, how do we narrow it down? Like, there's got to be a test or something. He goes, well, there's really only one test, and it's an autopsy. <laughs> I'm like, OK, well, well, I'll just take your word for it. Well, then. hold off. <laughs> That's the conundrum of it that it, and, and the uncertainty of it. We started in with uncertainty of not knowing exactly what it is and then them kind of watching him and making sure that it's not something else for the first couple of years. Meanwhile, functioning largely like, yes, it's Parkinson's and almost we hope it's Parkinson's because that's the trajectory that we're on, but not really knowing. That not really knowing and the word you use twice, uncertainty is one of the big reasons I wanted to bring you both onto the podcast today. Because yeah, we're talking about cancer and we're talking about adoption. We're talking now about Parkinson's disease. We're just talking about uncertainty though. This idea of having really ultimately no idea what tomorrow has in store. So you found out now as a young couple with a relatively young child at home, you got this unwanted diagnosis. You didn't sign up for this. When you said I do a decade earlier, you didn't think this was part of that but now it's in your family. So Rebecca, first to you, when you found out that your husband had Parkinson's disease, potentially, probably, where do you go? What do you think about that? The only way that I knew how to get through that, especially initially, was to just take it one step at a time and to break everything down into little bites, the things that I could absorb in small bites, the things that I could do today to face whatever he may be, whatever symptoms he may be having, to face whatever I'm feeling about it, to face what our son may be feeling about it, just addressing what was directly in front of me, and then kind of taking it one little step, one little bite at a time. That was the only way I knew how to move forward without it feeling quite overwhelming. Mm. Sounds like a strong way to handle not only a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, but um, a day and tomorrow and the following one step at a time. That's all you knew. 
And you also know that you married this fellow seated to your side right now. And on our podcast, Larry, when you got this diagnosis, probably not knowing a whole lot about Parkinson's disease, what, what were you, your first thoughts? My first thought was, am I going to die? Because I didn't know about Parkinson's. I didn't know if it was you know, something that could take my life quickly. And then I wondered, am I still going to be viable as an employee? I thought about Rebecca and I'm like, she didn't sign up for this. Right. You know, maybe they, maybe she doesn't want to be married to a guy that's got a degenerative progressive brain disease and, and all these you get all these thoughts mostly negative uh, from it. it it's overwhelming because your life everything you planned it just goes poof and like you've got to start from scratch figuring out what the future holds mm. but first you got to figure out what today holds and in many cases and it sounds like maybe in yours sometimes you got to bottom out and you got to have a little bit of a pity party and be okay down there. I've heard you share a couple of times, so I don't think you're afraid of admitting it, that one of the ways you handled the diagnosis was to self-medicate. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I found my way to the liquor store quite freely and was drinking probably, well, not probably, a lot more than I should have and a lot more than anybody should just to ease the edges. I just didn't know what to do. Uh, and every, every time I saw my doctor, he would give me more medication, so I thought I was getting worse faster. When they were just trying to find the right dosage but like they weren't it wasn't being explained to me and so i was kind of spiraling there for probably the first eight months i remember when we found out about our family my sweet dad being diagnosed we found out on, on a thursday and on sunday we're walking in the church and i know exactly where we were coming up from like these lower level parking spots up this big old staircase toward the church and we saw a good friend of ours and i know his name and my dad mentioned that we just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And the fellow's response was, huh, everyone I know with Parkinson's disease is dead or old. And then we walk into church. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, really, like this, this was the response of a friend, which paints the pathway sometimes on where this disease is going to lead so many people who have been diagnosed and their families with it toward isolation. Because it's, it's, it's such a lonely journey for so many so talk about some of the feedback that maybe you heard from others after you started sharing that I've got Parkinson's disease, colleagues at work or spouse or child or friends. Like what, what was some of the feedback you were hearing? First off, Rebecca was a huge rock for me and helped me escape into a more positive place. I was resisting Parkinson's and she was teaching me some of her tools on how to accept it as part of our life. So, because the resistance just makes it bigger and makes it fiercer and makes it more dominant in your life. You give it power when you resist it. And so by, by embracing it and, and making it part of our life, we, we've ne we, we now have more control over the Parkinson's instead of the Parkinson's controlling us. So that was a huge first step. I told most people in my life about it on TV. A right. true broadcaster. <laughs> yeah. It was um, <laughs> a World Parkinson's Day. I asked my bosses at Chorus if I could use all their platforms to bring awareness to Parkinson's because I had Parkinson's. And it was the first time some of them had heard about it as well. And they said, of course, that's phenomenal. So I went on TV across the country and told my story. And it was a very new story at that point. It wasn't even a year old. Most of my colleagues had no idea, but but they had been commenting. So like one of one of my employees 
said, what, what uh, you, you, you get, uh, you got too much alcohol in your leg there, buddy, you know, or you're going to get the gout if you keep drinking like that, you know, because I'd be hopping around the, the office yeah. or somebody goes, hey, what happened to your leg? Did you hurt your leg? You know, because as time goes on, you get more and more, more, more and more distinctive symptoms. People couldn't read any notes that I wrote. Uh, because your handwriting gets really small and sloppy. Uh, and it, it came to the a point where people just assumed I, something was going on, but they couldn't figure out what. Mm. Um, and then once I started telling people, it was a lot of support. Uh, and a lot of people were first timid to ask questions, but then as I became more of an open book and started the podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's, then people felt more comfortable coming to me and, and asking me questions and and, uh, and and I'm I'm happy to talk about any part of the disease. Let's talk about various parts of the disease. I think the first is this: when many of us think of Parkinson's disease, we think of Michael J. Fox or Janet Reno or someone we know from work or anywhere else in life, and we think of the, the tremors, and we think of the shoulder being raised, dyskinesia, whatever it might be. But we think of the physical body movement or lack thereof, where they're they're rigid. And yet that is just one of dozens and dozens and dozens of effects of this disease. Would, Rebecca, would you talk about some of the other effects of Parkinson's disease, not just the physical, but other aspects? The non-motor symptoms I find based on our involvement in the Parkinson's community, talking to people, the podcast, I find them to be the ones that people talk about most within the Parkinson's community because they are they affect everyone and they affect everyone a little bit differently but it's usually it's one of these symptoms like anxiety paranoia apathy uh, depression internal tremor those are the ones that i think of that i know affect larry quite a bit i know is when i speak with my fellow care partners those are the ones that affect relationships and families the most as well yes and the hard part of it is, is that it's, it's a symptom of the disease. And so there's not so much that you can do other than taking your medication and doing the things and you're and exercising and all the things they tell you to do to help to slow the progression of the disease that can address it mm. fairly well. So we have a lot of, there's a lot of these symptoms and then some of them are symptoms of the medications as well. There's, um, there are some agonists that they call them dopamine agonists that affect people's impulse controls, and that can have a huge effect on a relationship. Care partners talk about that quite a bit as well. It affects finances and relationships and sexuality and all of those things, and those affect families and the people closest to you significantly. So the list goes on and on about those things, but those are the ones that I think that people really need to think about the most. One thing that surprised me in researching your story and the work that you're up to these days is I'd always thought apathy, depression, anxiety, these types of terms and that kind of effect on the human being's life were the effect of Parkinson's disease. But what you both made clear to me is actually, no, this is one of the symptoms. So it's not the effect yeah. of tremors, for instance, or sadness not being able to work as much. Uh, this is going on internally and it's one more layer of Parkinson's disease. Yeah, and it all boils back to, to dopamine. So dopamine is one of those chemicals in your brain. It's, it's one of those happy chemicals, right? Uh, but people with Parkinson's uh, stop producing dopamine. So by the time you're diagnosed, you've lost 80% of your dopamine producing brain cells. 
and you continue to lose them over time. So they give you artificial replacement dopamine that you have to take, you know, some people take it a lot, some people take it a couple times a day, uh, depending on how severe uh, your, your Parkinson's is. And what, what happens then is it's also a communication from your, it, it lays sort of like the grease for your brain to communicate to the rest of your body. So anytime you wanna do something, if you wanna pick up a cup, you have to, your brain has to have some, it releases the dopamine before it sends the electrical signals down there. Well, if you don't have any dopamine, then, they, then you can't do things. That's why people get so rigid and tight and because their body's not communicating with, the brain's not communicating to the body. And, and for instance, I don't like one of the other symptoms that you didn't mention was I act out my dreams at night yeah. and I talk in my sleep because I, my, my brain doesn't know to shut off and paralyze my body when I'm sleeping like it does for everybody else. Yes. So he'll he'll kick kick things and, hit, and things. hit things and punch and thrash around a bit and sometimes act it out. He talks a lot in his in his sleep as well and, and very violent dreams very clear violent dreams is very common for people with parkinson's yes this is something that care partners talk about a lot this is very common especially when you hit a certain stage of progression so in, in some regards rebecca you're on the the early stages of being a care partner in all this as you work with those and network with those and then fall in love with those who are farther down the path what are some of the struggles that they say they face as a care partner over time, personality changes become bigger and kind of feeling like you're losing your partner because the personality and then they become less kind of uh, cognitively aware in the what I call Larry's bubble, <laughs> where he can kind of get into his little Parkinson's bubble and the rest of the world kind of goes away. That becomes bigger and longer and it becomes harder to poke it and get them, get them back. Um, those are all on, on top of the motor symptoms and the pain and other things. It's a lot of cognitive issues and just kind of feeling like you're losing. What I hear from care partners is that they it's this cyclical grief process because you're always feeling like you're losing a piece of your partner. There's something that, is, that this symptom is kind of taken over a little bit more or they're a little bit less aware of this. And it's just this constant process of of progression towards, well, who knows, everybody's on a different path right. as far as what you're moving towards and how far you will progress and what that will look like. We've all seen and heard about people who are in the latest stages and they're, it's very much like Alzheimer's and other things where there's you know, an inability to function um, and do things like swallow. So you have to be on a respirator and you have to be fed. Um, the motor symptoms can become progressively worse so that they can't function and do things on their own, often need care outside of the home care. So either put into a facility or have someone who comes in on a daily basis to help to care. And something that we actually heard early on was as he progresses, make choices about whether we want to be partners and married and in a marriage and relationship, or do you want, are you okay with becoming over time a caregiver and a patient? Which do you want to maintain that? Or do you, or are you comfortable kind of switching into those roles later in life and later in the progression of the disease? And everybody makes their own choices, but 
understanding that and talking about it now while he's aware and we're we're in a relatively normal relationship and understanding as we progress do i want to become a caregiver who takes on his day-to-day care or do we want to set it up so that we can get help and have someone who can be a caregiver so that we can maintain our marriage and relationship and there's so there's so much to that uh, including not everyone has an option there due to finances and a million other reasons. But um, one of the effects of Parkinson's disease is the more stress you take on, the more rapidly, as I understand it, the disease progresses. So the more you worry about finances, the quicker it develops. The more you try to work, the quicker it develops, which means the very thing that you need for the longer term survival of the family, finances, are affected and the inability to actually earn those dollars when you might be able to. So talk about some of the concerns as you both look, not even that far out, but you're in radio. Yeah, my, my, One of my heroes, a guy named Jack Buck, and those who know my story know all about Jack Buck, was also diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And for years and years, he used to say, I gave the Cardinals the best years of my life. Now I plan on giving them my worst years. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy would just come on out of the radio and it was harder to hear him, but we still loved him. Radio is important, though, to have that clear, booming voice. And as this thing develops farther, that's going to be harder to uh, articulate out, both in meetings and also on air. As you look toward that, Larry, what do you... So uh, this is, since diagnosis, probably my biggest fear is losing my voice. And I can, I already can notice it. Others can't as well. But for as a broadcaster, you know your voice pretty intimately. And, and I know how strong it used to be and, and how clear it used to be. And I'm already in um, vocal therapy just to keep it strong as long as I can. I'm not on the air as much anymore. It's nice to be in the manager position where I can coach people, talk to, to talent and producers about what they can do and set strategies and stuff. And I, I still have the capacity to do that. Although my, my um, uh, what are they called? The, the, um, the, the, the the thought, the 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 uh, not presidential thought, but the um, uh, executive executive, executive functioning. See, word recall and executive yeah. functioning can become <laughs> an issue, um, and so that, that we play charades a lot. Like it looks like a thing, and it's um, it is slowing me down. It's it hasn't fully stopped me from doing what I can do, but I certainly can't multitask uh, like I used to. Everything takes longer to do the judging how long something's going to take me i'm horrible at now like oh that's a two-hour job you know eight hours later she'll be like are you done yet <laughs> with that email you were going to take two hours to write <laughs> so yeah i hear the joy in your voice and the the hope in your voice and yet at some points i would imagine there are days where you feel completely demoralized and defeated and hopeless and filled with despair so i'd like to hear from both of you on those days or in those moments or through those weeks where you just feel deflated what do you do whether it's an activity or thought process a prayer network whatever it is that brings you back and allows you to take a deep old breath and take the next right step forward i call it my toolbox and i have various things that i can do in that one of them is the meditation and the and mindfulness practices one of them is taking a walk getting out in nature laughing as you pointed out we do love to laugh uh, that's a huge release 
physically <laughs> and otherwise, but it's also just a way for us to connect on, isn't this ridiculous? <laughs> but at least we're in this together mm. and doing that also with other people that we share this experience with and just laughing with our friends and, and people who we, who we love um, having, having that, I think laughter brings connection um, along with joy. And so there's, it's just a way to connect with others. So connection with, our loved ones and having that curating a network. Um, I am an introvert, so I have a very small but mighty network of people who I've curated as my as my support system, my writer dies, and they are always there for me, even if it's just a quick text. I just, you know, send me a, a funny meme, something <laughs> so that because I'm having a day. Um, do you have a minute to talk? Do you have five minutes to talk? just having that toolbox available and then being willing and knowing when self-aware enough to know when I need to, to dip into it. Because as you said, we're all going to have those days. It's inevitable. Even when you're doing something really well, you're going to have a bad day in it. And so you have to be able to, to bounce back somehow, or at least get back on the train. It, it's tough uh, because it's hard to realize you're in that situation until it's brought to your attention uh, because my, I can I can have pretty severe mood changes mm -hmm. uh, it, just last week we had a really honest conversation and she's very good at sort of bringing the truth uh, and about how I, it's hard for me to track conversation and it's once I get a thought in my head I just blurt it out regardless of who's talking and that I that's something I need to work on and and I it resisted it at first and tried to make excuses for it. And then I stopped and I, I listened to her and I, I thought about it and, and I really, I started to cry because it's one of those things that you, I've lost control over. Yes. A friend of mine says Parkinson's is the, is the gift that keeps on taking. And, and mm. it, 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 it feels that way. Like you wake up every day, not knowing if the ache or the pain or the, 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 the shake is this a today thing or is it a forever thing? And pretty consistently, my ability to track conversation and participate has become harder and harder without disrupting, you know, I'm like five minutes behind or you know, and they're like, yeah, we finished that topic a while ago, Larry. Uh, but uh, it's, it, it, you, you mourn that. And then, so I think it's okay to be in that place yes. where you accept the fact that, that that's no longer a strength of yours you can improve it once you have awareness to it and you can mourn that you don't have that natural ability anymore because with parkinson's everything becomes intentional walking talking grabbing things eating it's 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 you have to create new pathways in your brain in order to do these things and in order to do that you have to think about every aspect of that thing you're trying to do like oh heal then toe yes <laughs> Wow, man. So w whether uh, a person has lost a child or been not diagnosed with cancer or for you both Parkinson's disease, one of the commonalities that many of our guests share is this idea of turning their pain into meaning. And you two have done this brilliantly. So let's talk first about the podcast, then we'll talk about the Avengers. But first, talk about the podcast that you began. So the podcast was inspired by Dr. Ray Dorsey. Um, who is a neurologist out of the University of Rochester. And he was on a podcast, uh, the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast, and I was listening to it. Uh, and and he, like, he, he, he shook me out of everything. Uh, 
he said, if people with Parkinson's don't start sharing their stories, there's no way we'll raise enough attention to, to raise enough money to do enough research to do anything about Parkinson's. And I heard that and it stuck with me because I'm a storyteller. She's a storyteller. I have been all my life. I've got access to radio stations and TV stations and podcast platforms. And I'm like, I'm not sharing my story. This was before I'd come out. And I said, if I'm not willing to do it, how can I expect anybody else to do it? And so that's, that was sort of the, what prompted me to go public with my, with my, with the, the announcement that I had Parkinson's, which then immediately led to the launch of the podcast that fall. Um, and it was because we had done kind of a mini doc with my announcement that aired and got lots of great feedback. Yes. And so people wanted more and it's like, okay, well, let's try this and see what happens. And here we are uh, entering our you know fifth season of the podcast. Talk about the event. And by the way, the podcast is awesome. I haven't listened to every single episode, but I've really enjoyed it in particular for a guy who is intimately aware of how it affects not only my sweet dad, but his awesome wife, my mom, and everybody else in our family. So thank you for uh, giving a voice to people like my family. Well, it, you're, it you're very welcome. And I think one of the most important things is, is that it is a, it's, we're co-hosts and with part, it's, it, it, we both have a story to share. It, it, we, it's about the same thing, but from two different perspectives. <laughs> and I think that's what really resonates with people. What about the Avengers? Uh, the PD Avengers. So again, here comes Ray Dorsey. He wrote a book with some of his colleagues called Ending Parkinson's Disease. This was right at the beginning of the pandemic. It's sort of like a recipe for how we can help bring it into Parkinson's in a number of different ways. I love the book. Uh, and I invited some of my friends around the world that I'd met through the World Parkinson Congress to, to join me on a Zoom to talk about the book. But I didn't tell anybody who else was invited. So everybody started showing up and they're like, oh, you're here and you're here and you're here. And uh, some of them knew each other and some of them didn't. But even before the meeting started, somebody goes, I feel like we're like superheroes or something showing up. And somebody else said, we're like the Avengers. And somebody goes, we're the PD Avengers. And so I wrote that down and um, we met like every week for four or five weeks. And we, kept, we invited the different authors to come talk to us. And at one point, Boz Bloom, who is uh, one of the authors, he says, uh, this is great guys, but uh, you know, it's a prescription for action. Yeah. not talking what are you going to do about it and uh, that's when we came up with well let's figure out what the pd avengers is and let's do it and so uh we're we're about two years old as an organization now it's amazing we have about nearly six thousand individual members and we have 110 partner organizations from the michael j fox foundation to parkinson's new zealand to parkinson's south africa to all around the world we represent 93 different countries we bring people together we bring organizations together so we have a common message and, and we share resources now. As Parkinson's advocates, we can bring these groups together because we work for all of them already as, as the people with Parkinson's, they're there to serve us. And so we've invited them all into this and they've, they've all been very generous. Uh, I meet with them every, uh, the leaders every month. And, and at once a year, they've all agreed to have a unified message like a marketing campaign that goes out to everybody. And this last year, uh, we, we created a new symbol for Parkinson's, an additional symbol to the tulip called the spark. And we, we've got the spark out there and, and that'll continue to be to, to represent the urgency that's needed uh, for us to move forward and end Parkinson's disease. I'm glad you brought that up because that was my almost final question. 
as you look at not only the reflection in the mirror, but the reflection of more than 10 million around the world who've been affected directly by Parkinson's disease, are you hopeful that there's a, a cure on the horizon? Cure is tough. We haven't cured a lot of things. Um, we've, we've learned how to stop things from progressing. We've learned how to stop from bringing on disease, but we've not cured a lot of disease. So from, I think we're gonna have to figure out a way to identify it because we don't have a biomarker now. So we need to identify it before the onset, before you've lost 80% of your dopamine producing brain cells. And then we gotta figure out a way to block it, stop it, and then hopefully reverse it. But that's the reverse is, that's the hard part. I'm very hopeful with everything that's going on. Uh, and, and like even in the United States Congress last week, there was a, a new bill introduced to the House and it's the National Plan to End Parkinson's Disease. And so I encourage everybody to call your Congress people and have them support that bill. They need to hear from us. That just little piece of advocacy can make a difference. Uh, and then th that'll create a, a group of people that will come together and make recommendations for what the United States needs to do over the course of the next 10 to 20 years to uh, address what is now the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. Rebecca, as you make this even more personal from the macro side of it to more of a micro individual aspect of it. What, what advice would you give to a care partner who is, whether it's Parkinson's disease in their family with a spouse, partner, child, parent, or um, any other diagnosis that one of their loved ones may be struggling with and because of that, so are they. What advice would you offer to them? Take care of yourself. Don't forget about taking care of yourself. It's, it serves the world, it serves your family better to um, make sure that you are cultivating and developing tools for managing day to day and the big picture. <laughs> so whatever that looks like for you. So it could be meditation and mindfulness, it could be writing, it could be all these other things that that I do and, and um, people I know do, but it, whatever that means for you. Make sure that you are making yourself a priority in the situation. Mm. Take it one step at a time. And the, it can feel overwhelming to look too far into the future. So one, one bit and one bite of information, of a step, of an action. So what can you do today? Right. What can you do? What can you tomorrow? Think about what you can do tomorrow. When you're more comfortable, think a little bit further out when you've kind of hit the part of the process where you can get, when you can think about the future more comfortably, then start to take little bigger chunks, but be really be easy with yourself. Give yourself a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness for not handling it very well, because there will be times when you're not handling it very well. And then have, have a toolbox so that you can move through whatever may came up, come up in those days when it's not going very well. Larry, similar question to you. For someone who is either leaving a doctor's office today, dealing with a diagnosis that they were not expecting when they got up, or they've been dealing, like my dad, who listens to my podcast, he'll hear your voice and your answer, and he's been dealing with this for 33 years. Someone who uh, is knee-deep in that diagnosis and struggling with it, what encouragement or advice would you give them? Yeah, there's a couple things. First off, you're still you. Parkinson's is is, is sort of... Uh, taking away sort of your outer look, you got to, your, your face is going to become less dynamic and your actions are going to be some slower, but your heart is still strong and your heart is still there and the heart of you is you. Mm. So don't 
don't get lost in Parkinson's. And like you asked me about my voice and the, yeah, that's a big fear of losing my voice. But I, I listened to a podcast the other day about a woman who lost, she was a, she was a singer and she had a 50 note range and she woke up one day with a five note range. And, I'm, and then she's figured out a way to communicate differently and to share her stories differently. And so you still have stories inside of you to tell. It, you just may have to tell them differently. You may have to find a new way of communicating. And, and that really, that, that took me out of a five-year fear. Like, like overnight, just hearing that, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, maybe I don't need my voice. Um, and so just realize, and I think it's important if you're just diagnosed, you probably have things that you've lost. Like I, there was, I, I couldn't put my hand in my pocket for the longest time. Like I couldn't figure out how to move it into my pocket. Like it just wouldn't go. But after I got diagnosed and I had access to the medication and I had access to physical therapists, occupational therapists, you know, counseling, I was able to gain some of that back. Mm. So just because you've lost something doesn't mean you can't get it back. Um, and it's, it's, it's not a um, straight line, Parkinson's. It's day to day, hour to hour. So just like she said, give, you know, give yourself time and space and grace and make sure you come up with codes with your spouse or your partner. So if you're out and about and you need to get away, you don't have to say, be explicit. You can just go, we gotta go. And, yeah. and, or like I forget people's names, and so if I'm introducing her to somebody. I'll say, "Oh, this is my colleague, and this is my wife." And she'll go, "If I don't say their name, she knows I don't know it." <laughs> Hi, I'm Rebecca, and you are. <laughs> so awesome. those little things really make a difference in you know creating a space where you feel comfortable, even if you can't do everything you used to be able to do. I love that you that you brought it down to like the little things that you that we do on a daily basis because we're t we're speaking about these kind of big ideas and abstract you know ways that we do but those little things are actually the things that are are so actionable that help you to kind of regain some control in the situation and that I we feel like we're helping each other so communicating about what we need what little things you know what would really help us if you started to do blah and it would be something that I would never think of and then right and then just having that language of being able to ask for little bits of help whether it's your partner or your support system or whatever kind of cultivating that language for this little thing can really make a big difference and then being aware of that and being willing to ask for it and we're both communicators by trade and so our communication through our marriage has been dynamic but it fell apart about three years into the mm -hmm. diagnosis and we had to learn, relearn how to communicate with each other and so we now have a rule, another uh, person with Parkinson's shared it with us. And I'm like, that's a great rule. No open-ended questions after 5 p.m. Because at the end of the day, is I, my, my brain is mush. So if you have a question, make sure it's yes or no. <laughs> my, my poor wife just turned you off. Because when I come home from work, she wants to have the big conversations. And I'm usually fried at that point. So uh, yeah. I think it's I, good advice for most marriages, right? Whether you have Parkinson's or anything else. Well, hopefully it's before five where you are right now in Vancouver, because I'm about to ask you a whole bunch of open-ended questions. Oh, you know, we call them the Live Inspired Seven. I'll ask each of you three, and then both of you one. And the very first question that, Rebecca, you're the writer, so I'm assuming you're also the reader. So what, what's been the most influential or impactful book you've ever read? So many, but the first one that comes to mind 
is Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. I love Brene and I've loved many of her books, but this one was so enlightening in its language for emotions and for our processes, for how we function during trauma and moving through things and challenges and understanding other people's emotions. I believe it improved our relationship and the language about our relationship. It really did have a strong impact besides being just great storytelling from Brene. I think she's a great writer. Larry, Westerville, Ohio, go back there for a few minutes. If you could go back in time and uh, look at that little boy growing up in that idyllic town, what's that one characteristic, that wonderful trait, that superhero power that he possessed back then that you wish you modeled as brilliantly? There was an innocence. Uh, you you gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. And I feel that, that uh, society in general has lost the ability to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and so for, for me, I, I, I find it more here in Canada than I do in the States, but it's still, it's one of those sort of old fashioned things where you just, well, hey, well, welcome to the neighborhood. You know, you just assume everybody's going to be good. And, and it's, it's hard to do that these days. And then you kind of miss that, the, the novelty of what that was. Rebecca, if, if the home in Vancouver caught fire and Larry and Henry and any pets are out safe, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. What's the one thing you would come racing back outside with? I'm just going to say the first thing that came into my head is my journal. I assume that might be it. It's a, <laughs> it's a self-care tool. It's, and it's extremely personal. And I reveal things in there that I, that I may not reveal elsewhere. And some of my best work goes into there. And so I'm, I'm proud of it, but it also feels like it's strongly connected to me. It's a part of me. Larry, if you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day, whether you're in Vancouver or somewhere in Ohio or anywhere else in the world, and you could have a long conversation with anyone living or deceased, who would you like, like to be seated next to? I would love to have a long conversation with uh, Benjamin Franklin. How about that? Yeah, I, uh, I, for some reason, I've always been fascinated by him, and I read a lot of books about him. And he, he was a, a journalist, and he was an inventor, and he was a statesman, and just had a crazy life. And it would be interesting to talk to him. Uh, it, and I would love to do that same thing with my dad, who's who's passed. Mm. For you, my friend Rebecca, what's been the best advice that you've ever received, whether it's from your spouse, your partner, your son, a book? Brene Brown or a million other people who've influenced your life. Best advice you've ever received is? Your authentic self is good enough. Period. That's awesome. Larry, what advice would you give yourself at age 20? Go way back in time. You haven't even gone to Dayton, Ohio yet. So what, what advice would you give yourself at age 20? Stop racing into the future and enjoy the now. That's advice a lot of our 20 year old versions needed to hear and a lot of our present lives also need to hear. So the final question is for both of you. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Rebecca, how would you like your sentence to read? Wow. She contributed good to the world, was kind, compassionate, a good a good partner and a good mother. Mm. Powerful. I hope, I hope that's what well, it is. 
Most of our community listen. So they don't see what I'm seeing right now. But while you were answering, Larry's head is nodding up and down. And I don't think he's ready to not nod to sleep. So he is in complete agreement with you. So Larry, the question now goes back to you. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read? Dedicated husband and father helped to end Parkinson's forever. Ooh. Powerful. Rebecca, Larry Gifford, it has been an honor to have you both on the show. Thank you for first embracing your story, then sharing your story, and then providing hope that the best is yet to come. Thank you for your work. Thank you for what you're doing. This is great. Yes, this is thank really you. good. This has been a lot of fun and an honor to be asked. Thank you. Thank you. My friends, that is Larry and Rebecca Gifford. My name is John O'Leary, and today is our day. Let's choose to live inspired. Well, my friends, there were so many takeaways from our conversation today with Larry and Rebecca that stand out to me. One of them that they both mentioned was this idea of Parkinson's forcing them to let go of what they thought was certain for tomorrow. That's important for all of us, whether we have Parkinson's disease, part of our family, part of our life or not. We all think we know exactly how tomorrow or the next day or the following week or the following month or year is going to shake out. The reality is there's very little control that we have as you look into tomorrow. But there's a lot of things, as Rebecca and Larry reminded us, that we can do to take ownership over this day, including having hope for tomorrow. That was a big deal. Another thing that Rebecca mentioned was this idea of a toolbox. Whether we're facing a lifelong degenerative condition or struggling with the hurdles of life, developing a toolbox of tactics is imperative in managing the inevitable bad days that will spring upon all of us. Ideas like prayer and meditation, calling on a trusted friend, learning about a topic, exploring nature, journaling, all these things help release, reset, and ultimately rejuvenate us as we step forward back into life. Those are two cool takeaways. And the third is this, Larry and Rebecca mentioned it almost in passing, but I think it, worth, it bears worth repeating right now. They've got a little boy named Henry. It's a great name because I got a little boy named Henry too. So they have a little boy named Henry. He was adopted and they celebrate, of course, both his birthday as well as his adoption day. And it reminded me of all the guests we've had on this Live Inspired podcast who have shared the fact that either they are adoptive parents or they were adopted by parents. One of my favorite stories that echoes this gift was when Olympic gold medal figure skater Scott Hamilton joined us. And he talked about this idea of being chosen. His birth parents gave him life, yes, but his adoptive parents chose him. They chose him. He also spoke several times in our conversation about becoming a pro at getting back up again in life. Yeah, he's talking a little bit about ice, but I think he's talking a lot more than just falling on ice skates. If you want to learn more about the great man himself, Scott Hamilton is who I'm referring to. You can check it out anywhere you draw it on your Live Inspired podcast. Ours is located at episode number 68. That's the one with Scott Hamilton. And if you can't find it there, you can't find it easily, you can join me online right now. I'm at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Give it to you one more time in case you're typing right now, johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Well, leaders, friends, teachers, servants, fellow sojourners, ice skaters, 
heroes. I want to thank you for joining us this time. I want to thank you for being part of this journey through life with us. And I want to thank you for being part of our Live Inspired podcast family. We recognize that the headwind is real. Yes, we do. And we recognize the foundation is firm. The best is yet to come. So for this time and until next time, my name is John O'Leary. Today is your day. What a gift. Live Inspired. You know that Keeley Companies is all about fostering the world-class culture through their incredible cultural pillars. Well, it was time to add a seventh cultural pillar, Keeley Green. Guided by the mission to raise the sustainability standards by which they design, build, operate, and live, Keeley Green is dedicated to using a holistic approach to leave a positive impact on our environment, create a future that is sustainable for generations to come, In the words of Rusty Keeley, we are just getting started. You can learn more about that just getting started mentality and all the work they do by visiting my friends at Keeley Companies online at keeleycompanies.com.